God is good. If you're visiting with us, we actually do most of our worship at the end so we can respond to the word. We're Pentecostal in the house, which means we're not allowed just to pile more information on information. We have to do something with it, right? And so we want to respond as God speaks his word. This month we've been highlighting missions, um, specifically world missions. Um, our obligation and responsibility really to not just keep keeping the gospel upon ourselves, but to actually go and fulfill the Great Commission, not just here, but all over the world. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every tongue and tribe and nation, and then the end will come. And you know what? We're not that far. <laughs> We're not, there's not many places left where the gospel hasn't gone, and so we, we feel like it's our obligation um, and our joy, right? And our joy to do that. So next week, we will have a total for our giving, our monthly giving. So if you haven't given an usher that card yet, or if you um, want to email me because you didn't have it ready for today, you can do that. But I'm excited to see what we partner to do in this coming year. Amen? Selfishness is suicidal. God calls us to radical generosity in terms of his gospel. Amen? So, um, hand in hand with that, we've been talking about the gospel um, in January, um, the global gospel. Um, and a couple of things, as you are turning to uh, Romans 5, um, as you're turning there, um, we switch topics next week, um, and we're going to come into um, a little bit of a tricky topic for the next few weeks. Um, <clears throat> we, you know from this pulpit, we talk about everything. There's nothing in the Bible we don't want to talk about, but we also feel like our cultures become fairly crass, and I don't think the pulpit should be crass, you know what I mean? But sometimes there's stuff you've got to talk about, and there's just no other way to do it but just to Talk about it. So I just want to give a heads up, especially to parents. Um, we're going to be dealing the next few weeks with um, um, issues that surround sexuality. So a lot of the issues in our culture, gender identity and porn and all these kinds of things, like what is the theology behind what God calls us to be and do? Like why? What does his word say and why does it say it? And how do we live in life? Because it's one thing to say, hey, don't do this and don't do that. But how many of you know, like, there are really good reasons why God has said what he has said. And not doing what he has said is so soul deadening, especially in these areas. And so uh, we're just going to hit some stuff head on. And I will be um, as respectful, obviously respectful, but there's just some stuff, like there's things that my kids are hearing, right? They're being literally indoctrinated all the time with a worldview that has nothing to do with Jesus, and will lead them only to death. And they're hearing things talked about in a very upfront way. So we're going to have to be upfront. So I'm just giving you a PG-13 warning. Because normally, you know, because I know fifth grade is young. Here's, let me just tell you, my biggest concern is, I think sometimes what leads people astray in these areas is curiosity. And then it takes you to a bad place. And I don't want to awaken curiosity in young people. Like, before, you know what I'm saying? So I'm, I'm aware of the balance. But, yeah, so everyone's, everyone's forewarned. Everyone's forewarned. Okay. And then this Wednesday's our last um, January prayer night. And then in February, we go into classes. So the first class in February, it's the first three weeks of February, is on sonship. Yay. Being sons and daughters of God. 
being people who feel deeply the cry of Abba Father, right? And what that means to be a son, a daughter of God, especially a lot of the work um, that we do with younger generations now, um, there's just like an orphan spirit, like, right? A real difficult sense of coming to that place of understanding you're a son, you're a daughter of God. So we want to deal with some of those things. It'll be a lot of fun. So that's in February. All right. The gospel. The gospel. How many of you know, no matter how many times you've heard it, you need to hear it again? Like, I preach it to myself every day, the gospel. I don't know about you, but I need the good news every single day. And not the good news so I can be a pastor, not the good news so I can fulfill roles. Like, I need the good news just so I can believe him and love him and walk with him. And all the roles that we do will come out of that. If we can just walk with him well, right? If we can just draw close to him, everything else we need to do is going to come out of that place. There won't be striving and all those other things. I am a better mom when I am preaching the gospel to myself. I am a better pastor when I'm preaching the gospel to myself. And just, right? Living in a relationship with him, and out of that relationship, everything else is flowing. Um, in this house, our mission is to equip people to be and make disciples. That's our mission. Equipping people to be and make disciples. It's the one mission that Jesus gave the church. It's the one mission we have. There is no second mission, and there is, there is no B team. Like, we are, we are the rescue mission. It's us. Right? Power of God filling us. But that is our mission, to go be equipped to be and make disciples. So that means there's a lot of things we won't do in the house. Like, we're not looking to do 30 more programs. Because we don't want you busy all week here. We're going to do enough to get equipped. And then we want to be in our spheres of influence doing the Jesus stuff. Making disciples is all about understanding the gospel and being able to communicate the gospel. So that's why there's different times we take so much time just sitting in the gospel. Um, because if you don't have that, how many of you have been in a place where you're like, I believe, but I would not... I would not necessarily know how to tell someone what I believe. Like, I know I believe it, but I'm not sure exactly how I would say it to someone near me. So five of us have been in that position where we're like, I truly believe with all my heart. I don't know that I know how to say it to someone. Right? I want to make sure you're equipped to say it. The gospel literally means good news. We have good news. We have good news. The Greek word signifies good, merry, glad, joyful news that makes man's hearts glad and makes men leap for joy. That's awesome. Listen, there's some people that reject the gospel. This is true. But I feel like sometimes we have a complex. We feel like, man, people will be offended if I share. People will be upset if I share. The only people that I've ever seen offended when you begin to talk about Jesus are disaffected Christians. I have never seen an unbeliever upset when you talk about Jesus for real. He's beautiful. He's beautiful. Amen. And people that haven't been able to see him up close, when they see his glory reflected in you, they find him beautiful. The biggest lie we've bought into is that people don't want Jesus. People want Jesus even though they don't know they want Jesus, they want Jesus. Um, I played a video um, a little bit ago. It was um, Penn Jillette. Penn and Teller, the magicians, right? Penn Jillette, 
Some guy had stood in back waiting for him after a show, and he had a little Gideon's Bible. And he just shared the gospel with them. Hey, Jesus Christ came, saved you from sin. He's righteous. He's good. You can put your faith in him and be saved. Like, it's a free gift. He goes through the whole thing with him, right? And um, Penn Jillette is a famous atheist, and he was like, I don't believe. But he said, I respect that man so much. Because I could tell he was very respectful, right, and what he did. But he said, I could tell he believed it. And he says he likes me quite a bit. And so if I believed what he believed and there was somebody I loved, I would want to go tell him. And then in the same video, Pendulette says, how much do you have to hate someone to believe in heaven and hell and not tell them about it? I'm just saying, when atheists are saying, this makes sense that somebody who cares about me would share this with me even though I don't believe it. Come on. That's, I don't know, that's motivating to me. I could tell you a thousand stories, but how many of you have heard people and you're surprised when Jesus shows up, you're surprised at how much they like see how beautiful he is. And maybe you're super afraid and all you did, it's not like, hey, I got to memorize this thing and I got to, we're just out of, out of who we are and our love for him. We're just telling people about our lives. And he's just so good to us, it's hard for them not to see it. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. Thank God. (laughs) He rose again, eternally triumphant over all, including sin and death. He so thoroughly conquers sin that sin's worst product, which is death, can't even keep hold of him. This is how thoroughly he conquers sin. Even death can't keep hold of him. We will never outgrow our need for the gospel. It's how we got saved and it's how we stay saved. The grace of God. We got saved by surrendering to him and we stay saved by surrendering to him. Not by trying harder. We partner with him. But how many of you know the good news doesn't turn into the difficult news once you get saved? Like you got saved, now try really, really hard. We partner with him. It's not that there's no effort. But it's not by works that we are saved, and it's not by works that we stay saved. It's by surrender to him. It's in a relationship with him. Phineas Brise said this. He's a tough read. I'm not even saying, I'm just saying, I, I would not read him again. I had to read him for school. I wouldn't read him again, but I do like this quote. He says, we are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. We are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure in which we have received it. Think about that. Think about the length that God went to show himself to you. How many people, especially if you got saved a little bit later in life, you weren't maybe raised in church, how many people planted seeds that maybe even you scoffed at, but those seeds were germinating? And there was a moment where belief rose up and you were able to grab onto Jesus. We owe people the same measure of what's been given to us. Amen? John Piper says this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, which the glory of God is 
right? We, we live to give him glory. Our lives reflect his glory. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk so deeply that we're satisfied. It is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world that our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. Oh, let that sink in for a minute. Let that sink in for a minute. If we don't have a strong desire to see him glorify, people know him, it's not because we've kind of already measured the expanse of him and we're full, right? It's because we've been nibbling at the table of the world and we're so full of small things. And by nibbling at the table of the world, it's not even saying sin. But how many of you know, like, we can nibble at the table of the world and fill our lives with things that are so unimportant, have zero eternal value, are hollow. Now listen, I like a good Netflix binge on my day off occasionally with the best of them. A good murder she wrote binge. I'm not saying there's no room to ever just relax and be for a minute. I'm not saying that at all. But in our desire to do that, we fill daily so much of our lives with small, small things. And when you fill it so much with those things, it doesn't even bring any kind of rest or relaxation to you. How many of you have found at times you're like, I think this is just numbing me out. You've done nothing all night and you go to bed tired. I'm just... Let's just keep it real. Come on. We should go to bed tired. We should need a Sabbath. I think often we don't Sabbath because we haven't been purposefully working enough during the week to know we need it. Just, I didn't think it would get quiet yet because there's more coming. This is still a... Um, many of you know we just moved. We sold our house. We lived on that lake for ever and ever and ever. And um, we want to build eventually. So we're just we're renting right now. So we sold our house and we're renting this trailer, um, which is it's nice. It's fine. It's fine for us. Um, but how many of you know like trailers are smaller than houses? By <laughs> like orders of magnitude, <laughs> smaller than houses. And I didn't, we don't even like stuff people, but I mean, we have stuff from every floor of that house that we are now pitching. And honestly, like, could you see me? I wear like the same clothes almost every Like, you, right? I'm not, I, you've seen my clothes. We don't have a lot of stuff. We're not stuff people. And I have felt convicted. And I've never thought of myself as a stuff person, but I'm telling you, like, when you start adding up all the garbage bags, how much did we spend on this stuff that in the end we don't even want? We never even used. I was never going to make homemade pasta. I didn't need that whole box full of stuff. <laughs> There's like all these projects I was going to do someday. I'll learn it, right? I'll make my own jewelry, whatever. <sighs> stuff. And it's amazing to me, as we get rid of stuff, you think it's more difficult to live in a small space, we're finding it's actually easier. Like, it's almost like that stuff, each had like, there was like a list in our minds of all the stuff we had. And as we get rid of stuff, it's like, oh my goodness, 
I feel like mentally a weight has lifted by just getting rid of stuff. I don't know. I think we should contemplate. What's my life full of? How much stuff have I stuffed in there? So it feels full. It's like when you eat at Olive Garden, which is a travesty. It's not even like fast food Italian. It's Craig, come on, back me up. It's terrible. Okay. I don't, the chicken parmesan, I don't know, terrible. Okay. Eat at Craig's house if you want Italian. Eat at Craig's house. Okay. But you eat there, right? And uh, I'm sorry, some of you are like, I love it. Okay, it's fine. We can like agree to disagree because we can be friends, right? But I'm just saying, there's places you eat and like you have put a lot of food in your stomach. So your stomach feels like artificially full, but it got no nutrients. And so you're still, there's like a hunger, even though you're stuffed. Come on. Come on. In the Western church, we're like stuffed. But we haven't actually fed the right thing because only his presence will do it. We can't even know all this stuff about him, but only actually his presence in our lives. In him we live and move and have, that's the only thing that's going to fill it. That's the only, that's the nutrients we need, right? Abiding in him. Colossians 1. And I'll get to Romans 5 in just a second. Colossians 1, God was in Christ reconciling all things to himself. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That's good news. That'll fill you up. Romans 5, 6 through 11. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Man, Think about that. Think about while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And he says, now that you've been reconciled, how much more? Right? If that was available to you while you were a sinner, now that you've been reconciled to God, how much more is available? The good news doesn't become bad news. The good news becomes gooder news. You know what I'm saying? Like, it gets better. While you were still a sinner, Christ called you, called you out. Didn't earn it, right? He's saying while you were still broken, he found value and redeemed you. Listen, in this house, I can just feel it. 
In this house, I don't know if it's one or more people, but you're sitting there thinking like, I'm a disappointment to God. While you were a sinner, he called you out. He's not been surprised by anything to do with you. If he called you while you were a sinner, and you're sitting here now thinking, I'm just, it's too far gone, I'm too screwed up, I've messed up, whatever it is, I don't know, whatever it is, but if he called you while you were a sinner, there's nothing now that he can't deal with in your life and bring you close. Nothing. Come on. He called us before we ever earned it. Now you've been reconciled. I have three sons. No matter what they do in a day, no matter what they do in a day, they're still my sons. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for them. No matter what stage they're at, so we just went through this move, right? And I mean, you guys, you guys are rock stars. There's like 40 people that helped us move. It was amazing. Um, but we have kids at different skill levels. We have a 14-year-old, right? Higher skill level, an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old. Well, the 9-year-old um, is a 9-year-old. So we get in the house like, you guys, put your rooms together. We'll take care of the kitchen, right? And the older one, no problem, Right? He moves his bookcase where he wants it, unpacks, whatever. The nine-year-old would go in there, and after many hours, there's literally nothing done. <laughs> nothing. Not one box is unpacked. Nothing is done. In fact, it's worse because now he's gotten toys out, and he's playing with them, on the right? And Mitch and I were like, you know what? He's nine. He doesn't know how to move. He doesn't know how to put a room together. He doesn't know how to unpack, right? He's going to need mom and dad to come in there. And say like, hey, you want the bookcase here? And then we do it with them. And then we, right? We are going to have to show him how to move because he's nine. What were we thinking? Of course. Right? I didn't love my nine-year-old any less than I loved my 14-year-old who knew our heart and how to execute it. Are you with me? Jeff told the story about Titus, right? He went two feet. Right? Because Titus is a little guy. When Titus is 20, we won't be cheering about two feet on a bike, right? <laughs> there will be, and a good father wouldn't, because a good father would say, I want to call something greater out of you than two feet on your bike. And listen, here's what happens sometimes. We grow in the Lord, and we hit a place where he's calling us further up and further in. And we thought, man, I was doing so good. Why all of a sudden am I feeling like I'm so far behind when really he's just showing us there's further to go. Like there's more he has for us. And we get all discouraged. I thought I was doing great. Listen, he's just a good dad who says there's more here. There's more I've made you for. I'm not going to let you get stuck down here. But guess what? He doesn't love the nine-year-old who's still learning how to climb up this any less than he loves the 14-year-old Who's climbing up this? Romans 5. You have to know you've been reconciled with God. First Colossians, you have to know you stand blameless without fault in his sight. That's what it said. I'm not making it up. You stand blameless without fault in his sight. It's called justification. We are literally covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's how God operates with us. 
Does he know there's stuff that's working out of us? Yes, but what it's saying is, it's like my kids. If they screw up, I'm not like, let me decide if they're my kid today. They're my kid, they have my blood, right? They don't have to reestablish identity every day. I came home, I had some meetings in the church, and usually two hours is like the limit of leaving them home alone. <clears throat> For everyone's sake. <laughs> um, so I had some meetings I did here, and I, I went home to check on them because they were home that day. And um, from outside <laughs> this trailer, trailers have thin walls, we have discovered. Um, outside this trailer, I hear uh, voices. And I'm just thinking, God, let all three of them be alive. <laughs> let all three of them be alive. I get in the trailer. There's stuff to deal with. Whatever. Guess what? I didn't stop and think, you know what? Why did I even have kids? Are you even mine? No, there was something to deal with. But they're so covered. They're covered in our name. Our blood flows through their veins. Their identity in that moment of walking through something, their identity was never in question. They're mine. We don't always tell the neighbors. Sometimes they walk the dog. We have a Bernese Mountain Dog. Trailers are also really close together. Have you? I didn't. You don't think about these things, right? They're very close. We have a Bernese Mountain Dog, and um, he weighs 100 pounds, which is more than any of my children. So sometimes the Bernese Mountain Dog gets away, and we're like, we're not. Whose dog is that? <sighs> As Mitch is running this way to get <laughs> crazy. Okay, I'll leave that. It's been a really eventful two weeks. <laughs> so he dies for us. Why does he have to die for us? This is crucial. We were sinners. <laughs> we were born into sin. Now, some of us know that because we were like the rascals in our family, right? So some of us know that. But listen, every single one of us was born into sin. And that sin nature needs to get crushed. Come on. There's a story Jesus tells with the prodigal son. There's the younger son who, like, takes his dad's stuff, has no value for his dad, goes and spends it on drinking and all kinds of wild living, spends all of his inheritance, embarrasses his father, right? And we can all be like, man, that guy's a sinner. Drunkard. Hanging out with women, maybe. We don't know because his little brother accused him of that and... Maybe he was just really mad, we don't know. But he did the bad things. We can see he's lost, right? And he can see his lostness because his life is a mess. So he recognizes he's lost. But guess what? The elder brother was just as lost. The elder brother's a rule keeper. He stayed and worked with his dad. He didn't take anything from him. He didn't, right? He's working in the fields every day. And at the end of the parable, when everything comes down to the end, the elder brother is so angry the younger brother is being celebrated for coming home. And the elder brother says, I've worked with you every day. How dare you give him this fatted calf? Right? And what you see is in some ways the elder brother is more lost than the younger brother because he's been using his righteousness as a leverage against his father. When our lives are totally broken in a mess, we know we need God. 
When we feel like we're pretty good people, we're pretty righteous, guess what? Sometimes you're the furthest from God. And you need to ask him to come and crush your ideas of righteousness. <laughs> come and crush my ideas of good enough. Come and crush my ideas of I don't need you. Because Jesus would say things like, you know what, to the Pharisees, they're keeping all the laws, right? They're the good guys in society. They're... He would say things to them like, listen, prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom before you. Who was the most lost? Those who didn't recognize their need for God. And so Jesus comes to save us from our sins, but also to crush that Adamic nature we're born into, that sin nature, and all of us are born into it. No matter how good you live, all of us are born into it and in need of a Savior. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, in the same way life comes through one man, Jesus Christ. Sin enters the world through Adam, and guess what? We're all born into it. All of us have need of a Savior, and we can see it from Genesis chapter 1 on through. There's creation, and then what happens by chapter 3? Treason. Treason. Here's the one tree God says, I set apart for myself. And what do they say? Hmm. What's the temptation? Got to have that fruit? Not really. The temptation is you can be like God. You'll decide right and wrong. You'll be your own God. Just eat of this tree. Do the one thing he told you not to do. And what do they do? The one thing he told them not to do. And everything gets broken. Everything gets broken in the fall. And we're all now born into that brokenness and into that treason. And that's why the gospel is such good news. Because your bitterness, you can't fix it. Your rage, you can't fix it. Your lust, you can't fix it. Your sin, your brokenness, your sadness, your sorrow, your despair, you can't fix it. We don't possess the power of life and death. But Jesus Christ so thoroughly conquers sin that death can't hold on to him. He possesses the power of life and death. And so your rage, he can fix it. Your lust, he can fix it. Your brokenness, your joylessness, your hopelessness, your despair, he can fix it. How does that happen? Surrender. And sometimes when we've been saved for a long time, we need to hear it again, the gospel again, because we think, oh, I've been saved this time. Here's where I'm at. We've forgotten how to just surrender and say, I don't have to make this happen. I don't have to be in control. I can actually trust you that you're good. We surrender again to him. Control of our lives. Now there's a power at work in us that isn't our own, it didn't originate with us. Romans 8 says the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who believe. So what are you going to control that's going to come out better than trusting the power that God has placed within you that is his spirit that came because you believed? Galatians 6, 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Man. When we hit rough spots, you know what you do? You let them crush whatever the world is still sitting there. That's what you do. Amen? How many of you have been there? You hit rough spots and you say, come. My flesh has been crucified. It wants to rise up. It wants to... I relinquish control to you. I surrender to you. 1 John 1. 
This is the message that we have heard from Jesus. And now I declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we've been reconciled to God, but guess what? Living in the light also does what? All that fractured relational stuff going on from the fall, guess what happens? As I live in the light, guess what I begin to have? I even get to have fellowship with people. And you were made for people. Even you introverts in the room. You were made for people. Before, the, before sin, before the fall of man, what did God recognize? Adam's lonely. He needs somebody. We actually need each other. We actually need each other, and not just as a result of the fall. Before the fall, God recognized it's not good for man to be alone. As we live in the light, we are reconciled to God, but also we have reconciliation with each other, fellowship with each other. Colossians 1.11, we also pray that you'll be strengthened in all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in his inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We're not just getting saved isn't like, oh, this is cool. Jesus will add some depth to my life. You literally aren't in the same kingdom. You were in the kingdom of darkness and says you've been transferred out of the kingdom of light. It changes everything. It changes everything. The old has passed. The new has come. And we don't have to work to be new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. We have a hard time getting into agreement with it, but that's who we are in him. We are in the light. So what if I feel like I'm not in the light? Well, guess what? How do I, how do I get? I surrender. <laughs> I surrender. There's so much human wisdom that tells us how to live joyful lives, how to live fulfilled lives, how to live in the light, basically. Adages like, time heals all wounds. Right? Just give it time. Just give it time. If time heals all wounds, and elderly people should be the most healed, happy, and freed people on the planet. <laughs> we might actually have to pursue his presence. We might actually have to pursue his presence. And every single person in this room is going to hit rocks. Every single person. And that could be a lot of different things, but a lot of times it's time to go further up. And we hit it and we get discouraged and we shrink back. When we hit that rock, we should say, God, if there's a challenge, man, you are showing me I am ready to see your presence manifest in a greater way because it's going to take that to get past this challenge. Yeah? If you will trust him, God cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. His character has established everything, even in nature. He cannot deny himself. If you will surrender to him, even as a sinner, <laughs> right? Well, we were still sinners. Christ came and found us, called us out, 
If you will surrender to him, he will respond according to his character. And what is his character? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is not his desire that people perish. It is not his desire that believers just make it to heaven, withering inside. It is not his desire that your neighbor perishes. He cannot deny himself. If we partner with him, we will see his glory. If we come in with a bunch of preconceived ideas of what that looks like, we might get disappointed. You know, one thing God's been showing us a lot lately is, you know, sometimes like a lot of our prayers have been like asking, you know, that part of the prayer where there's needs you ask. It's almost not even asking anymore. It's just agreeing with him. We felt like when we're asking, we probably have a lot of preconceived ideas about what he's going to do. So we've just stopped asking in the same old way. We're just agreeing, right? God, this doesn't look like your kingdom. And we agree you want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in this situation. So we're just agreeing with you. We're just agreeing with what your kingdom looks like. And you can do it however you want to do it. But we're just agreeing with you. He cannot deny himself. If we surrender to him in his ways, guess what? He shows up. I just feel it in the house today. I just feel like, I don't know if it's more than one person, but there's someone who's really contemplating, like, I've got to make a huge change. Not life change necessarily, but huge change in here. It's so easy before you got saved, right? Because it's new and you receive it. But sometimes you just need to get saved again. You know what I mean? Not out of fear, right? But sometimes you just need, I don't know if you've ever done that, but sometimes I'm like, Jesus, let's just pretend we're starting. <laughs> like, Let's go back to square one. I think I need to go to square one. And just know, just know I love you. Just know I want to live for you. Without all the other stuff. I just feel like there's at least uh, there's just a sense in this room of, man, if the thoughts you have haven't taken you where Jesus said you were going, then change your thought. And that looks like, Jesus, I'm just going to surrender right now. We might need a blank slate some stuff. And we just start again fresh. Yeah? But he's good. He's good. He will not leave you alone. He will not deny himself. He says, listen, if you seek me, you will find me. He will not deny himself. If you would stand, worship team, would you come? We have two dogs. One is a beagle, and she's miserable. And one is a Bernese mountain dog, and he's like the friendliest, sweetest dog ever. My beagle will obey to get food. If you can do something for her, she will obey. But my Bernese mountain dog, they're the kind of dogs that get bonded to you. Like they love you. It's too much sometimes, but they love you. And that dog, no matter where I'm at, whether it's here in the office with him or whether it's at home, wherever I'm at, he's within a foot of me. Just, he'll lay there and just wait. And sometimes he's dead asleep. And if I'll just cross my, le my legs differently, he wakes up. Because he's like, she moved. 
and I, I want to make sure I'm tracking with her. I want to make sure I'm with her. Does she need anything, right? I mean, she's just so, like, attentive. He's so in tune with his master, you know what I mean? And not because he feels guilty. But it's like my 14-year-old as we moved. He's old enough now, he has the heart of a son, right? He's not nine anymore. He has the heart of a son. So when he sees my husband working really hard, he comes and helps him, right? When I say, hey, Luke, would you come and put this where mama can't reach it? He's like, sure. He comes and does it. Great attitude. Because he's old enough now that he has the heart of a son, right? And so he just wants to do what we're doing. He has our heart. He wants to see it accomplished. He's not having to be like, fine, I'll obey you. It's his heart too. When you let yourself get there with God, you let him crush everything else, right? That stands in your way. And you get there where you're like, God, I just want to do what you're doing. I just want to live surrendered to you. I want your gospel, which is that you're good and you have rescued me from the kingdom of darkness and placed the kingdom of light. I want that to permeate every part of my heart and my mind. I want to live to give you glory. I want to live in your joy. When you let God do that for your heart, when you'll give him all of your heart, that's the difference between servant and son. When you do that, the yoke is easy and the burden's light. Just do what you're doing, Father. Just do what you're doing. Let's take some time to worship. Prayer team, come on up. I don't know what all the needs are in this house, but I know for some of you, God's been stirring up stuff. Things are stirring for you. Respond to them. Here's ways you can respond. You can respond in worship. There's folks to pray with you too. There's folks that on each side to pray with you. There's folks in back on each side that can pray with you. Any believer near you can pray with you because every believer in this house has the kingdom without measure. Um, if you want to come and kneel and pray, but let's respond to him. Let's not just leave it in our brains. Let's let it seep down into our heart, deep, deep into our spirit. Amen. Let's take some time. Let's respond to God.
more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your
ushers, would you come on up? He's so good. He's so good. You can trust him. If he's taking you through hard places, this fallen world is hard. You can trust him. He's the only true guide, only refuge. He's good. If you're praying with someone, just keep praying. We're going to come to the Lord's table. Ushers, you can go ahead and start delivering the emblems. You're welcome to receive communion here, whether you're a member of the church or not. We just ask that you're a believer, you put your faith in Christ. You're welcome to partake. You don't have to partake, but you're welcome to. Jesus invites us to this table of communion. When he knew he was going to die, it was his time to die for us. He brought his disciples near. And he said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is my blood spilled for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. And so part of communion is a command. It's obedience. We come to this table where we're reminded of his broken body, of his spilled blood. And we're reminded of what he has done for us. He's already paid the price. He will not get a refund. What a shame for us to live this Christian life and not reach for everything he has done, right? By faith, laying hold of those things in the not yet and seeing them happen in the now because his kingdom has come. And this emblem of his broken body this emblem of his spilled blood reminds us we can come to him with everything. If there's any issues of unforgiveness in your heart, release them now. Issues of sin you came in with, release them now. Thanks, Kev. He's good. He's good. This week I was reading um, Peter Kreeft. He's a Catholic theologian. He's talking about the Eucharist, which right, our communion is their Eucharist. <clears throat> and he was talking about the abortion bill that passed in New York that allows babies to be killed right up until delivery. And he was talking about how the spirit of Antichrist is so attached um, to abortion and it's like the opposite of the Eucharist it's the opposite of communion it says this is my body and then blood is shed when Jesus said this is my body and then sheds his own blood to cover our sins it's like the opposite the same, the same words of our Savior are invoked to say I will shed blood right this is my body And I bring that up now to say, as we focus on the gospel, sometimes we see these things in the news and we think, oh, everything's so bad, right? Jesus is losing the battle. Let me tell you, the enemy has overplayed his hand. He has overplayed his hand. We don't have enemies, right? There are people who are ravaged by the thinking of the enemy that our culture has latched onto. 
because the only thing, I mean, apart from Christ and his ways, everything else leads to death and destruction. So there are people alive in their 20s today who've already gone through the whole gamut of destruction. And guess what? When you bring the good news, they're going to know it's good news. They're going to know it's good news. The enemy has overplayed his hand. He has made the darkness so dark (laughs) that light can shine bright. So don't be intimidated. Light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. And we've been translated, if you're a believer, we've been translated into this kingdom of light. And this emblem of his broken body and his spilled blood reminds us there is nothing more powerful in this world than what he has done. Colossians 1, every single ruler and principality, every single thing has been conquered by his death on the cross and has been put under his feet. There is nothing more powerful than his death and resurrection. And now we get to be ministers of that reconciliation with the good news no matter how people have been ravaged by sin and brokenness in this fallen world, we get to carry good news. Don't be discouraged when you see what's happening. Understand your place. As a son and daughter of God, we reflect his glory and his goodness, and he's beautiful. And people will see him through us. And they'll have hope. And we can show them how to place their hope in him. (laughs) Amen. He's so good. He's so good. So let's reach for everything he's done, everything he's accomplished on the cross. Healing of our souls, spirit, mind, body. He's good. Would you take with me now the symbol of his broken body? spilled for us. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you call out to sinners and say, have life. Have the life I have freely purchased for you. You're so good. Jesus, you're a friend of sinners. So good. So good. So good. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole.
glad he's a friend of sinners. He's so good. He's so good. And now we get to carry this good news. It's not a burden. It's light. It's light. Amen. He's good. If you need prayer, there's still time to get prayer. Any believer in the room can pray with you. But if you've got to go before you go, would you encourage somebody? We can't encourage each other enough. It's not possible. It's not possible. Would you encourage them before you go and pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I love you. Encourage somebody. If you're new, I'll be in back by the coffee.